This is Charlotte Parker, broadcasting from the OCF office in California. You are listening to Oral Cancer Answers, a podcast from the Oral Cancer Foundation. This is 2020, Episode 1, an interview with our top three fundraisers from our first national virtual fundraising event. We are diverging from our interviews with researchers and dental professionals on this podcast to bring you one with three amazing people, all with different backgrounds and stories to share. We asked our fundraisers why they choose to support OCF during COVID-19 and what it means to be an advocate. Before I begin and bring in our first guest, let's do some housekeeping. This episode and future podcasts from the Oral Cancer Foundation are immediately available for download at anchor.fm slash oralcancer and as a free download in the iTunes store and numerous other podcast platforms such as Stitcher, Overcast, and CastBox, 15 to 30 days after their release. Just search Oral Cancer Answers. All right, I'm back with Nick Keel on the line. Nick, how are you doing this afternoon? No complaints. Um, Doing well. Wonderful. Well, I wanted to just thank you for starters for making the time to speak with us and to just sit down and take some time out of your busy day. You're welcome. So to start things off, can you tell me a bit about yourself and your journey with oral cancer or anything you would like to share about your life? Maybe how this cancer impacted it? Sure, definitely. Um, So it was 2018. So it's coming up on two years, um, pretty much to the day that I had surgery. Um, And I found out by going to the dentist, I had a sore in my mouth. Um, It was kind of bothering me. And then as a guy, usually you kind of wait a little bit too long to go in sometimes. Um, And that kind of thing where I went in, I thought maybe it was biting my tongue a little bit when I was sleeping or so. But went in. Um, and they took a look at my mouth and they said, I had to go in for a, um, go see an oral surgeon that day. Um, so from that point <laughs> at the dentist, I thought it'd be pretty serious because usually it doesn't, you can't just get into a oral surgeon in, uh, within an hour. Um, so I got in the next morning actually, and they took a biopsy, um, it took about five days. And after that point came back as I had squamous cell carcinoma, um, on the on my tongue, mm. my back part of my tongue. So, mm. um, so that it changes pretty quick. You know, seven. You know, you think of going into the dentist. You know, just for a routine thing, and it changes pretty quickly of of how your life changes. Um, then the following Monday, after finding out basically a day or a weekend, scheduled to go in and see the surgeon, and they basically told me that they were going to have to remove part of my um, do a glossectomy and then take out all the lymph nodes on my right side of my neck. Oh, wow. Uh, so they did that. You know, that was to- told to me a couple hours after <laughs> for for an hour. So everything was kind of going pretty quickly. Um, you know, and they it, they were hoping they could get, you know, good margins. You know, they wouldn't know until they got in. So it was two weeks after that um, or so. Let's see. Yeah, two weeks. And then I had surgery. Um, and I took part of my tongue. And a little bit of my basement floor of my mouth uh, on my be my right side. And then I think it was about 40 or so lymph nodes from my right side. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. 
that's pretty much where it goes from there. Then it uh, was, I wanted to get out of the hospital as soon as possible. So I, within a day, uh, the next day, I was allowed to go home. Um, but I had you know, stuff to take care of everything. But that day, I actually got an infection um, of fistula where I was having some, uh, some stuff and it was getting into my neck. Um, so I had to go back to the hospital within 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, from that point, I was there for 10 days total, but because uh, I had to heal that in my mouth before I could come back without you know, eating something or drinking something before I could um, move on. But the biggest thing that happened was five days post-op, I was actually in what was luckily in the hospital and my uh, um, main artery in my, in my mouth burst from from surgery it's pretty rare the lingual artery in my mouth burst five days after surgery mm-hmm. pretty rare to happen that long afterward um usually that happens within 24 hours of surgery or so but uh um because most of my doctors had emergency surgery at about four o'clock in the morning <laughs> and i had two units of blood blood transfusion and all that kind of stuff of uh of after after the surgery so most of my surgeons said that if I wasn't in the hospital because of that, um, because of the infection, I wouldn't have been able to get a hold of anybody because of the, uh, the amount of blood that comes out when it's an artery. So it was uh, quite the, the journey just to get through uh, through the hospital, basically. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Like, that sounds so scary. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, <laughs> needless to say, it was. Yeah. Um, so gotten out of there, and then it was had to wait till everything heals. Went through the process, um, you know, get fitted for a mask, all that kind of stuff. I did six weeks of of radiation, and then six uh, doses of cisplatin, um, also during the period of time for treatment. Um, I guess I guess any questions? I guess I don't know. I'm better with somebody asking questions too about the whole thing. Um, sure. Radiation was difficult, like everyone knows, to your head and neck area. You know, that's the way it goes with uh, the sores and everything. The biggest thing was I went through um, my getting my mask, and they said you can only lose, you know, 10% of your body weight mm-hmm. or 5 to 10% of your body weight. So, um, you know, most people have to get a feeding tube. And from that point, I thought to myself, you know, I'm going to try to really get through this without doing that and so i <laughs> tried to gain i before my surgery i gained 15 to 20 pounds <laughs> to oh, wow. give myself a buffer mm-hmm. <laughs> so i didn't uh, so i would be able to still fit in my mask but still be able to lose some weight if i start having problems with the uh the radiation and chemo so um i'm a competitive person so mm-hmm. it was always came down to my nutritionist for head and neck cancer at uh, things said that you know 95 percent of people you know you know you should just plan on scheduling your um feeding tube and you should get ready because it's going to be you know this is the way it is and and she said she basically told me i had a zero percent chance of getting through the process with chemo and radiation without a feeding tube mm-hmm. and so i said i said to her well you know zero percent is uh it's a pretty tough number to beat, but I'll, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> uh, so she's kind of the one that kind of drove me through the whole process. And I made it through without a feeding tube and going through the whole process of uh, radiation and chemo. 
Um, it's a, it was a difficult process, but it's, it's, it's December 7th was when I was done with all of my treatments of 2018. So. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's quite a, that's quite a journey you had there. And of Short course, <laughs> absolutely. So after all of your treatments, now that you are officially cancer-free a survivor, what is different about your life now that you have gone through that and now that you are a survivor? Well, obviously, uh, uh, physically, you're different, obviously, and you have to go through all the processes of, you know, I, I still have issues with my speech because if you lose part of your tongue, that's kind of just a process you have to go through. Um, and then just you have all the side effects you have from everything, which is all part of the process. Um, which everybody that goes through it knows. Um, and mentally wise, I, I feel like I'm in a good spot. You know, a lot of it was I had a, at that time a three and a five, a five year old and a three year old, um, two mm. boys. You oh. know, so it wasn't like I was, uh, you know, a lot of it was for them to, you know, I can get through this and I can, you know, be there for them and go through the whole process. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's just kind of, like everyone always says, it goes down to you just kind of live each day as, as it comes now. You just keep moving forward. Yeah, you kind of forget about, you know, the little things. And, you know, it's always, that's what everybody says. And until so something like this really happens is when people really, you know, take that to heart. So that's kind of how it changed my life, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. And I know that families definitely can impact somebody's journey because we want to still be there for our families no matter what. And you with such two small boys, I couldn't even imagine having boys now. Like, it's just, you are such a trooper. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I give it all. My my wife is what she got me through the whole process. You know, I had to be Mm. by myself with the radiation and all stuff. She was, she was the person that took care of the kids at the time, you know, and it was, Difficult. I, my friends and, and and everything helped drive me to all the, the treatments and stuff, which really helped out. But she sat there every day with me during chemo, and she was there, you know, with the kids, you know, and the kids sitting there saying, "Is Dad gonna be okay?" And I was like, "I'll be fine." You know, it's the thing where you you try to be as strong as you can, but yeah, you're hoping for the best, you know. But my wife, mm-hmm. she's she was the she was the rock through the whole thing. That's what, that's what people always forget about. Like you said, is family and friends are, uh, you know, they're the ones that they don't really know what to do to help you. And so that's mm-hmm. a tough part for them when you to see a struggle through something like that. Oh, absolutely. Sometimes you just, they have to just go gung ho about it. And mm-hmm. your wife just sounds like a real, a real woman. <laughs> so moving on um, to our event, um, I did want to discuss a little bit about it um, because you were one of our top three fundraisers in this event. And often people want to put the cancer experience behind them. And they don't really want to have anything to do with what that period in their life was. And it's a huge negative period in their lives, as I mentioned. But staying engaged in it to help others may not always be a choice that people make, but it is definitely a choice that people make to do so. And since you did, you probably have had some very specific reasons to do it. And I was just curious if you could share maybe some reasons with us why you still continue to advocate. 
Yeah, it's a it's difficult. So for around here in the Midwest, uh, especially here in I live in Wisconsin, um, but mm-hmm. I work in the Twin Cities. There's not a lot of you know uh, stuff that really goes on where you do walks or you do things locally, or there's even a lot of help in the area, which is something I've been thinking about over the last <clears throat> year or so. Well, since I've had this, it's kind of something I'd like to even get moving forward is just bringing more awareness, you know, especially with uh, head and neck cancer or oral cancer, all this type of stuff. And it's, that was the thought in my head. My wife was the one actually that saw it, you know, that this was happening. And, and she told us, she's the one who said, we should definitely do this. And obviously it was a no brainer. And with me, I have no problem with uh, discussing my story or why, or, you know, people always ask, why did you, how did you get cancer? Or, you know, try to say, like, why did you get cancer? I, mm-hmm. I just move forward as, you know, that was a part of my life. And that's just not a question of, of moving in the past of, you know, things happen basically mm-hmm. in life. So I have, my friends are always amazed by how I can just talk about it. And I, I like to joke around, you know, that's kind of my attitude too, of, you know, we just go. Yeah, it, it is what it is. And so mm-hmm. it's something that I think we want to do a lot more of. Um, and we want to make sure that people know about, you know, this society or foundation and stuff. And it was just kind of a, <laughs> I think we joined probably mid-August. It wasn't as if we, we even started in the beginning of the month. And it was us just trying to tell people like this is something that we can raise money for and still bring awareness for. So it's kind of stuff I want to do moving forward too. So. Awesome. On that topic of you starting mid August, how exactly did you hear about the national event? And I I guess you already answered why you decided to participate, but how exactly did you hear about it? My wife, uh, I think found it on our, on the Facebook page uh, and going through the whole process. And that's how we, went through it um and then we just jumped right on because <laughs> we, we've been we have been looking for like a specific thing in the area but obviously since everything this year with COVID-19 there isn't anything that's happening live or anything like that so right. um um that was she said that and we just said okay we sent it out then we sent our information out through Facebook to our friends and I kind of told them my story a little bit quick and just said this is what it is and we're coming up on two years of me, you know, being diagnosed. So that's how we got started. Well, we are very appreciative of the support you and your family and friends have shown the Oral Cancer Foundation. Why specifically OCF? There are a few head and neck cancer foundations out there. Um, Or perhaps the question is, why does OCF resonate with you as a vehicle to do good in the world? Well, I just, like I said, it's uh, something it's obviously part of my life. Obviously it's a oral cancer that I had. So it's, it's, I've seen a lot of information and, and everything where um, moving forward, it's, it looks like a, a good foundation to, um, to help with. It's, I have been part of a symposium for head and neck cancer society. We did that for a conference and stuff, but um, this is a specific cancer that I had um, towards obviously the mouth. So that's, it's something leading towards um, the future I'd like to be a part of for a long time. Well, on that topic, uh, if given the opportunity, would you like to expand your advocate role? Definitely. 
Uh, that's an easy answer. Great. Well, we may have a few opportunities for you in the near future. Um, so knowing that our listeners run the gamut for, or I'm sorry, run the gamut from current patients to survivors, dental professionals engaged in early discovery, and even treating professionals in oncology, do you have a message for our listeners or any particular group of them? What, what do you want to tell our listeners? That's a, that's a good one. Um, you know, with survivors-wise, you know, the, the, the answer is, I think, or, the, or I think the statement I want to say is, you know, whatever journey you went through, um, it's, everybody's completely different. Mine's not special, more special than anyone else's. It's just, it's tough. Everyone's going to have someone in their life. If it's not oral cancer, it's going to be some different type of cancer. They'll have somebody in their life that they love or somebody that, or themselves. This is going to be something that I wish could say that's not going to happen, but it's going to happen to a majority of people that there's going to be something in their, in their lives. So it's being strong during that time. Biggest thing with doctors in oncology, I had a great surgeon um, through Midwest ENT, and I had a great oncology team for uh, Minnesota Oncology. And, uh, you know, I listened to everything they say. You know, they said to do something, I'd try to do it twice as good, just to, just to follow every rule they do. And uh, it could really help you out in, in the long run. It's helped me out to get be cancer-free now coming, hopefully, into for two years. Mm-hmm. So it's... I think that's one thing. Listen to your doctors, you know, and and everybody. Um, if you feel uncomfortable with a doctor, choose a different one. But it's uh, they're they they know what they're doing, and that, that really helped me through the whole process too. How important is early discovery and seeing a dentist? Because we get all the time people calling in saying, oh, I just want, uh, same as, as you, I just went in for a routine checkup, but my dentist isn't giving me an oral cancer screening. How do you, what do you have to say about, or what is your opinion on that subject? So some dentists, so you said some dentists aren't doing an oral cancer screen? Correct. We, you would actually be yeah. surprised at how yeah. many we get saying, oh, well, I either Talking from a professional standpoint, I either don't do that or from a patient standpoint, they won't give me one. Wow. That's, uh, that's unfortunate. I, I, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, my dentists, the ones I went through, um, they've done it every time. I, I was on a yearly thing, and I think it happened within six months. Now I go every three months to the dentist, but, but he, he's, the one who's, he's the one who identified it. You know, as soon as I came in there and ever since before that, he would always do a gum test and all that, you know, move through your mouth and go through the whole process of of everything for an oral screening. Um, I don't know. That's uh, that's disappointing to hear um, on that side that that doesn't happen, you know, routinely. That should be part of someone's um, job, I would assume. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I guess what was the question? <laughs> You answered it beautifully. Just yeah. well, how do you feel about <laughs> dental professionals not providing any sort of screening for their patients? Disappointed because I never had, I haven't had that experience. So I'm, I'm disappointed that that doesn't happen. Yeah. Well, that is uh, one of the main focuses of the Oral Cancer Foundation is to bring mm-hmm. out that awareness and to have these events to 
essentially fundraise for the research and help professionals learn, hey, this is important. And your dentist obviously made a call and helped you in that. So any other last words uh, from you, Nick, as uh, we wrap up here? Uh, yeah, I, I just appreciate you guys for all the hard work. I don't know you guys uh, a lot, obviously, but, uh, um, you know, it's, a, it's hard work putting together a foundation and going through all this process. And um, I appreciate you guys trying to get the word out there, especially, um, you know, go, I'm at the age of 34 is when I had the cancer. So I so hopefully a, a full lifetime uh, of still advocating for this uh, foundation. Well, we really appreciate you, Nick, and all that you have done to help OCF during these very uncertain times. And we are looking forward to possibly, you know, maybe working with you in the near future on something. Sounds great. All right, Nick. Thank you again so much for taking the time to talk to us. And I hope you have a great rest of your week. Yep, you too. Thank you so much. That was a really great talk with Nick. Next, I would like to bring in our second guest who has her own story and experience to share with us. I will be right back. All right, I am back here with Claire Pentingale. How are you today, Claire? I'm doing very well, thank you. Oh, that's wonderful. Good day, or I should really be saying good evening, since you are actually speaking to me from a different part of the world. Yes, I live in the northwest of England, in uh, the county of Cumbria, which is uh, probably better known as the Lake District. What's the weather like over there right now? We had an absolutely amazing day today. It's We've, we've had quite a wet August, but uh, today was beautiful sunshine. My husband and I went up into the fells, which is what they call the hills around here, and uh, had a, a lovely hike. Uh, it's very warm for us, uh, not what you would consider warm, but um, it, it was about uh, mid-70s here. That's lovely, and certainly a lot better than what's going on over here in California. Yeah, so heat and the fires on your part of the world are atrocious. Oh, definitely. Well, to start things off, I wanted to ask if you could share a little bit about yourself, your family, and your experience with oral cancer, not necessarily on a personal note. Well, yes, it's not personal for me. It's my older sister, Kathy, who has had quite an extensive period of, of issues with oral cancer. We grew up in South Carolina in a town called Greenville, uh, where my father moved there. He was in the textile machinery business, and that was a big textile town. Uh, so we grew up there. Uh, we all three moved from Greenville at various times, but both of my sisters are currently living there now. My elder sister, Kathy, um, spent some time in the 1980s and 1990s living on the coast of North Carolina, uh, which is her favorite place. She is a very keen sailor. She worked for YMCA sailing camps out in Arapahoe. Camp Seagull and Camp Seafarer, and she loved it out there and had her own boat for a bit. Uh, she moved back to my hometown back around 2000 to be closer to my parents who were starting to get up in years and needing more, more care. And after she moved back there, she decided that she wanted to become a licensed neuromassage therapist, which she did. Uh, and she had her own business for 16 years. 
uh, and this year was due to be her retirement year anyway. She and her husband live on a boat, so they bought a, a 36-foot sailboat. And they've been having some work done on it so that they could move on to the boat once she retired. So that boat is now down in Oriental and uh, just waiting for her to finish with a significant amount of treatment. It's been a very bad year for her this year. She closed her, her business down for the, uh, for the lockdown, and shortly before she did that, she noticed that, she'd had, that she had a lesion on her tongue. She, at this point, had had six surgeries for oral cancer. The first one she had was in 2010. So she had a sort of wait and see. Uh, she was sending photographs down to the surgeon to keep them updated. Uh, she did finally, with the relaxing of the regulations, was able to go down again in April. By then it was severe dysplasia and they decided to set up surgery for her, which she had at the beginning of May. They were hoping to do a, a tongue resection like they've done in the past, but when they went in, they found that it was advanced squamous cell carcinoma by that point. Uh, and they were very concerned that they were going to have to do quite radical surgery, uh, which they they did end up having to do. She went in uh, the following day and they did a tongue reconstruction and a neck dissection and she lost some teeth. Fortunately, she didn't lose any of her jaw, so that was, that was a good outcome. Uh, the doctor had originally uh, recommended that she have radiation at that point, but because she was only stage two, they decided that her, her medical oncologist felt that that was not necessarily the best uh, move, so they decided to do a wait and see. Uh, about six weeks after her May surgery, she found another lesion. Again, had a biopsy, but again, it was cancer. So she went back in uh, towards the end of July and had more surgery. She had a bilateral neck dissection. She had, fortunately, she did not have to have another tongue reconstruction. Uh, but she is now, she's doing amazingly well, all things considered, but she is now in, in a course of radiation chemotherapy. She's about uh, a little over halfway through her radiation, and she's about two-thirds of the way through her chemo. So hopefully if, if she continues to be able to have the radiation therapy at the course that she's having it, then she should be done with that by early October. But it's not been great. She's all of her home furnishings are in in Oriental, uh, except for a few items of furniture. So she and her husband, bless their hearts, are living in a in a rather of a shell of a house at the moment, uh, and just waiting for for the treatment to uh, conclude. Wow, your sister has had quite a journey so far, and sometimes when I hear about someone's story I lose my words because everyone is so different and you just don't know what they're going through. How has this affected your family and what sort of things are you doing to support each other through all of this? Well it's interesting we were chatting the other day I was, I was talking with someone and I said you know in, in many ways I'm glad my parents aren't here because I think that they would find this very, very difficult. Uh, both my parents have passed away now. My younger sister is very tied up with her work. Uh, she is a, works for a major department store and she doesn't drive, so she's been quite limited in, in her ability to assist my sister, even though she lives in, in the same town. Mm. Uh, my sister's husband, Ron, uh, 
is is also somewhat limited. He is legally blind. He has retinitis pigmentosus. So though he can be very helpful to her at home, though he, he still has some vision requirement, he could be helpful to her at home. He, there are limits to what he can do. So it's been it's been hard kind of on everybody. Obviously, for me, I can't get over there. Last year, 2019, she had surgery in January. And we were anticipating a rather dramatic surgery then. So I went over there to be with her and help her with her recovery. Fortunately, that surgery was not as dramatic as we were expecting. So uh, she, was, she, she was able to recover a lot more quickly than we'd anticipated. But it was great that I could be there. This year, that wasn't a possibility at all, because even if I had flown over to the U.S., uh, if I'd been able to do that, which as a U.S. citizen, I probably wouldn't be, um, I would not be able to come back to the U.K. And as I am a U.S. citizen, I don't have U.K. citizenship. Uh, my husband's not English, but I've never taken U.K. citizenship. Uh, I live over here on a, a visa. I do have a requirement to uh, be in the UK for a certain number of days and I can only be out of the UK for a certain number of days. And therefore, if I were to get stuck in the US, I could lose my visa. And that would be a big problem. So uh, so I've been stuck here. There hasn't been a way that I could go over there and be with her. Oof. Yeah, and this is happening during really uncertain times right now. I can only begin to imagine how difficult that must be. How are you able to communicate and support your sister right now while you're limited? Well, we're very fortunate in the technological advances in the past you know, 20 years or so. Uh, we have Messenger, and you know she, she still has the ability to speak, but it's difficult. And so I don't call her, I message, use Messenger. Uh, and we are in touch several times every day. Uh, it's been brilliant in that sense because I can touch base with her on and off through the day. We always have a little chat before I go to bed at night. And um, so you know, technology has been really the salvation of the situation. Uh, my cousin, uh, one of my cousins, Heidi, um, has been uh, involving us in a, in a little creative process, uh, writing haikus through the summer. Oh, nice. And so that's been, that's been a lot of fun, actually. Uh, the, my elder sister, myself, and Heidi and her brother Eric are all involved in that. So that's, that's been a, a great way of being able to sort of creatively express what we're going through, both in the corona situation, but also through my sister's medical situation. Um, and be there and be supportive. Um, my cousin Heidi is wonderful at finding excellent poetry or quotes or things, and she's always sending things like that to which are very So I think technology through email and through Messenger and um, Facebook and things like that has is, been great. Benefit to us. Well, on that topic of technology, you were in our top three fundraisers for our national virtual event. And this was our first national, but now our first international event since we have reached across the world to you in the UK. How exactly did you hear about our virtual event? 
Well, it's actually interesting. My sister has used the Oral Cancer Foundation website quite a lot. She's found it extremely helpful. The, the, the information that they've uh, that is on there with regard to medical treatments, uh, the message boards being able to read about people's experiences, how treatments have gone for them, what the problems were, what the side effects were, uh, gave her a really good sense of what to anticipate. And she'd mentioned to me a few times, and in fact, there was a, an article that she had read about some radiation uh, treatments and what to expect that she recommended to me. So I went on to the Oral Cancer Foundation site to look up this information that she had suggested. Uh, it was when I was on the site that I saw the virtual fundraiser information. I was I had just gotten back into cycling. I had, haven't been doing very much of it. Uh, but in June, I had got my bike out, dusted it off, and had gotten out and was enjoying riding around the local area. And a good friend of mine was raising funds for a charity over here in the UK, and I helped her by riding with her on some of her rides. Um, and when I saw this, I thought, well, oh, that's a great idea. It's in August. I can get myself fit for that. And so I decided that I would do it. It was something positive that I could do for my sister when I couldn't come over and be with her. It would give us both something positive to look at. And it was actually a lot of fun in, in the sense that I set myself a goal um, after each ride, I would post a little blog on Facebook with photographs and a little bit of interesting information about the area I live in and where I decide to work. My friends and my family, they supported me. They sent money, obviously funds. Um, uh, but they also you know, were cheering me on. And it, I think it gave both my sister and certainly me uh, a positive way of handling the situation that was otherwise quite devastating. Absolutely. And we are very appreciative of all the support you have shown the Oral Cancer Foundation. But why specifically support OCF? I understand that your sister sent you articles and has been using our site, but there are quite a few different oral head and neck cancer charities out there. But maybe perhaps the question is, why does OCF resonate with you? Well, I think it resonates on a more personal level for me because it is the one that my sister has been most connected with. Yeah. Uh, it's the one that she has talked most about. It's the one that she goes to for information. Uh, she has found, as I said before, the, the, both the articles, uh, the, the, the message boards, uh, the information that they um, provide with regard to the new treatments and clinical trials. Um, she's found that that foundation seems for her to provide a, an excellent go-to source of information. And I think that from what she said about what she's read on the message boards, she's not the only one. So it was a way of supporting that organization, which benefits her, but also seems to benefit so many other people who are dealing with, with, with oral cancer, having that cancer. We definitely strive to provide a space for those with cancer and encourage caregivers and loved ones to seek out answers on the boards. 
And it's wonderful that your sister can go in, get those answers and information, and even find someone that she needs to talk with. And it's also great that she can refer to those articles and research papers. That is definitely a huge part in what OCF does for the oral cancer community. Yes, yes. Yes, very much so. I, I just think it's been, certainly for her, an excellent resource. And it provides her with information so when she goes in discussions uh, with her doctors, she understands what they're telling her. Okay. Uh, and I mean, she's mentioned that before. Uh, that when she's gone in to have conversations with the doctors about treatments and the, the surgeries she's had, she's understood that they have been explaining to her because she's done the research in advance. So she's had uh, a source of information to help her uh, understand. That's wonderful. We get so many calls from patients saying, my doctor says this and I don't know what it means. And we can talk their ear off all day, but in the end, we tend to refer them to our site saying, here is a resource, you can look at it anytime. And it's wonderful that your sister can actually have that, gain that knowledge, and refer back to it anytime herself. Do you have any advice to those who have a loved one going through what your sister has and is going through and how they can maybe be their support? I think one of the things that a friend of hers who has had a lot of experience with the Normal Cancer Foundation here in England and with patients, she, she suggested something which I have found useful. Um, be interested in what they want to talk about. But also, be interested in their lives outside of what they're going through. Um, they don't necessarily always want to be talking about that. And so I think that um, one of the things that you can do is to, we, we have a lot of laughter. We joke around a lot on Messenger. Um, we, we, we remember silly things that we've done. And, uh, we, so we talk about things that aren't always about her situation as it is right now. We also talk about that too. Um, my sister and I have always been very close. Um, we have probably gotten closer as we've gotten older. We're both in our 60s now. So uh, it's, uh, it's a long life. And we've enjoyed that close friendship and, and sisterhood across the Atlantic, I've been over here for 26 years. So um, we, we have a lot of uh, a lot of history. And uh, so I think it's been in some ways easy for her. She knows she can tell me. She knows she can talk to me. And she knows that I'm interested and that uh, I if I don't understand something, I can ask her. So there, there is a there is a strong communication, and we're fortunate that way. I'm I'm sure that there are families and friends that perhaps have more complex relationships, and one makes I'm sure of more. So I think we are fortunate enough that we have that very good spot. Mm -hmm. That also makes it hard because we have a very close. So when she's hurting, yeah. I hurt. I think communication is very important, as you mentioned, and OCF has a community that consists of patients, survivors, caregivers, loved ones, and professionals who are engaged in early discovery. Your sister saw the lesion on her tongue, correct? 
or did she go to a dentist who did a screening and discovered it? She discovered it. She, she's been having uh, lymphoplankia since about 2006, 2007. So she's, she's had, she had some oral issues before she had her first cancer in 2010. Uh, and so her dentist, now whether it was her dentist that first noticed lymphoplankia or whether it was my sister, I don't know. Uh, but certainly her dentist kept a very close eye on her mouth. So when she got the initial lesion in 2010, uh, I believe it was she that found that. I don't think it was her dentist. I think she went to her dentist with it. Got it. And, then, and that was where we went from. She had surgery in my hometown initially. Um, and it was after that that she uh, was looking at clinical trials uh, and that she was linked up with the Medical University of South Carolina, which is in Charleston, and Dr. Day, who is now her surgeon and has been her surgeon since 2011. So between her dentist and between Dr. Day, uh, she has... Um, well, largely through Dr. Day, because whenever she's found anything, she immediately contacts them. She has regular checkups as well down there. So, but pretty much all of her, except for I think one surgery, uh, pretty much all of her surgeries have been done at the I'm not sure if you know about this, but there are still quite a few dentists out there who do not look for any abnormalities or lesions or even conduct screenings at all. Any messages for those who may be listening? Well, I certainly think it's very, very important because I don't know that if, you know, that, that the people are always aware of these things themselves. You know, I, I mean, I have a sister who has a little cancer and I try to keep a fairly close check on my own mouth. But I don't know that I would always be sure of what I was looking at. So I think they're being aware and, and uh, proactive. Um, in terms of, of checking carefully their patients' mouths uh, and making them aware of any things that they, that they were noticing. Uh, I think that's extremely important. Uh, as I said earlier, my sister is not someone for whom they, they have any notion as to why she's having these. She's, she doesn't fall into any of the categories that would tend, tend to lead to this. We don't have any oral head or neck cancer in my family that I'm aware of, uh, though there are other cancers in my family. That's not one. So it's, uh, I think it's very important that, you know, because it, it's a disease that takes large numbers of people every year. It's, it's frightening when we look at the numbers. I mean, we're, we're approaching 200,000 with the coronavirus, and I'm not downplaying that by any number of means. But three times that number of people might die from having cancers this year alone in the U.S. 600,000. That's enormous. So we need to be proactive in this. We need to be aware that this is a very, very significant cancer. Um, it's a cancer that affects people in such profound ways. There's a wonderful statement, obviously, I've about you know, how in our mouths we 
Absolutely. That was wonderfully said, and I don't think I could really add any more to it. I do want to thank you for taking the time out of your evening to speak with us. Do you have any final thoughts? Any messages before we let you go? You pretty much just said it all, but anything still on your mind you'd like to share? Well, the only thing I would, the only thing I would add is that my thoughts and prayers are, are out there for all people who are suffering from having cancers, as well as, as other pre-existing conditions. I think this year in particular, because of the coronavirus, uh, so many people who have pre-existing conditions have had to delay treatments, delay surgeries. Um, this has had a tremendous impact on their lives. And so I think we need to be aware that while we are not, while we are dealing with the coronavirus, and myself, that's sort of the main thing I'm dealing with, there are a lot of people who are dealing with the coronavirus and other significant issues. So for that, I think we need to be thankful, uh, but also be, um, you know, send our love out there to Beautifully said. Thank you again, Claire, and once again, we really appreciate you supporting OCF and our best to your family and especially your sister. All right, I am back with our final guest, Robert Logan, who happens to be our top fundraiser for our virtual event. All right, Robert, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Of course, and we just want to take a quick little moment right now to say thank you so much for your participation in our virtual fundraising event. You are definitely a force to be reckoned with because you have updated and participated your progress every single day. And again, we just want to say thank you so much for doing that. Oh, you're welcome. I was happy to do it. So to start things off, can you tell me a bit about yourself and your journey with oral cancer or anything you would like to share about your life? Maybe how your specific cancer has impacted it? Um, well, I've been on this journey since about November 2017, when I had first discovered my cancer. Um, prior to that, um, you know, I lived a perfectly healthy, normal life. I played soccer for about 35 years. Uh, uh, I coached soccer. I refereed soccer. Lived a perfectly normal life. And then it came, uh, changed on a dime. And then I um, found out I had cancer in my soft palate from the HPV virus. I was uh, HPV 16 positive. 
and I ended up having um, about six tumors in my tonsils and my lymph nodes in my neck. Wow. And, and um, surgery was not an option. I had to do 35 radiations and six chemotherapy of synplatin treatments. Oh, goodness. That's, that is quite a lot there. <laughs> so, yeah, and... Um, it was very difficult, mm-hmm. and um, I was deemed cancer-free at the May of 2018 mm-hmm. after that, and then unfortunately, the HPV virus had metastasized to my lungs, oh. and now I have five tumors that are all HPV positive in my lungs, in various lobes. And now I am on a clinical trial at Emory University um, for this cancer. Mm-hmm. And how's that going for you right now? I um, had started that trial in April 2019. And it is what now, May, uh, September 2020. Um, I originally was only given 12 months to live oh, wow. when re-diagnosed in November 2019. Oh, I'm sorry, 2018. And then we started the trial following April. Mm-hmm. And so far, um, my cancer has been stable mm-hmm. since June 2019. Okay, so that's good news. Um, what kind of treatment is the trial on that you're participating in? Um, well, they are both FDA-approved drugs. One is Katrina, uh, or Katrina, however it's pronounced, which is immunotherapy. Mm-hmm. And the other drug is called Temometrics, which is approved for liver and kidney cancer, but we are trying it on head and neck cancer. Mm-hmm. So one of the things is um, they are testing the combination of the two drugs to see how it works on our particular cancer. Okay. And so far, so good, it sounds like. Uh, yes. I will be a fourth person placed on the trial. Mm-hmm. And... I was given, um, I knew 40 milligrams of the chemometrics per day, mm-hmm. and only two of us in the country are doing 40 milligrams. The rest are doing 20 because um, we're the only ones that seem can handle it. Uh, okay. The rest don't seem to be able to. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, go ahead. No, no, no. If you have more to uh-huh. say, please continue. Uh, well... <clears throat> It is not as rough as the radiation and cisplatin treatment together. Mm-hmm. Um, this is tough in its own way, but yeah. nowhere as hard. Um, I can still live a normal lifestyle. I work my normal job, mm-hmm. which I work from a desk. Mm-hmm. I can exercise daily, and I can have a beer if I want. I'm allowed to have beer. It's a wonderful day. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So 
you said that it was it's not as harsh, but are there any sort of side effects if you'd like to share those? Absolutely. Like how's your it there are. Okay. So like how's your so if you'd like to explain those a little bit and maybe how your swallowing is if you're comfortable talking about that. Sure. Um before I started this trial, my voice was normal, and this is not my normal voice. Mm-hmm. It is difficult for me to talk. It almost sounds like my voice um, is swollen or impeded, but if an ENT goes in there, my whole pathway is normal. Mm. But the drug affects my vocal cords, Hmm. and it makes me sound very nasally. I'm not very nasally. My sinuses are clear, Mm -hmm. but I sound very nasally. Okay. So this is not my normal voice, per se. Okay. Um. And it's been slowly developing as I've been on the trial. Mm, I see. And it is difficult to swallow. And oddly enough, my um, radiation treatment was on my left side of my mouth, on the left side of my tonsils. But it's the right side that is having the difficult time. So it's not the full mouth. It's the side that was not radiated that has more of an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, my hair is jet white. I used to be a dirty blonde person, and then it gradually changed in about two to three months. I went completely gray. All oh, wow. my hair on my body is ghost white. Um, and it has affected my thyroid. I had to, um, start thyroid medication. And we don't know if that is from the Pembro, which is Katrina, or the uh, Cabo. Uh, they both cause it. So it's a toss-up to which one's causing it. Mm-hmm. But it's a very mild dose. It's not nothing shattering. Very livable. Okay. Well, it does sound like with these particular trials, as you mentioned, you're able to live pretty comfortably i don't want to speak for you but you know you're having beers and you're walking (laughs) miles and miles for oral cancer you are definitely as i mentioned a force to be reckoned with uh yeah i ran eight miles just the other day oh my gosh i can't i can barely do two (laughs) (laughs) um so speaking of that how particularly or how specifically did you hear about our national event because as i mentioned in the beginning you have essentially participated every single day, updating it, walking and running miles, miles upon miles. How'd you hear about us or this event, I should say? Oh, um, well, you know, I'm pretty active on Facebook, mm-hmm. um, on the uh, head and neck uh, cancer Facebook group. Um, I met Brian, who is the oral care foundation on that website. And I've become friends with him on there. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, you know, he had posted about the event. And I said, you know what? I'm doing nothing. I need to get my budding gear. I need to exercise more. This is a win-win. Win for the Oral Cancer Foundation and a win for me healthy. Wonderful. So I took it as a challenge. And I set goals for myself every day to do 10,000 steps or more and raise the bar. And if I can do it for a good cause, I'll do it for a good cause. And looking at your 
uh, updates, I'm going to assume you actually, you set those goals and you definitely surpassed those goals. Yes, I have. More so than I imagined I would. (laughs) Well, that's great. And I guess that answers my question as to why you decided to participate. And again, you know, we want to send our thanks again for doing this because anytime I would go on to Facebook or any other social media platform such as Instagram or even our website, just Robert right there. He is just keeping that top spot. And while it's not a competition, it's still nice to see oneself being able to participate and be at the top because you yourself you're going through so much and you're just absolutely killing it um yeah and i was really proud of my family and friends that contributed um one of the things of you know i'm one of those persons as a giver not a taker so it is very rare i ask for anyone to donate uh i always donate to everyone else's causes Mm -hmm. um like one of the ladies that did donate she's a teacher and her class needed ukuleles for uh, school, and I bought the whole class ukuleles. I provided the whole classroom with ukuleles. Oh, wow, that's wonderful. So, you know, she donated to my class. And um, I always believe in giving, mm-hmm. and I thought this was a win-win to me. Absolutely. And with many different head and neck cancer charities out there why do you choose to specifically support ocf or perhaps why does ocf resonate with you to do good in the world because to me it sounds like there needs to be a lot more people in the world like you that we're willing to give well you know you hate to say the world we live in is a bit um cynical Mm -hmm. but it is there are Many people out there that do fundraisers and the money does not go to the cause or what you want it to go to. And there are charities that are like that and there are GoFundMe sites like that. Mm -hmm. And I do my research and I know when I did the research that the Oral Care Foundation, the money majority goes to research and it goes to helping other people that have cancer not just my type of cancer but any head and neck cancer patient mm-hmm. so to me that is a huge win you know helping any cancer patient is a win to me and knowing that the money goes mainly to the research shows huge dividends absolutely and we as a foundation, we are very heavily specific in HPV research, but as you mentioned, not just HPV-related research. Um, although that is very, we're very heavily uh, vetted into that. But as you, you took the words right out of my mouth, um, all sorts of cancers in, are involved in the head and the neck area, and we don't want to specifically treat one better than the other. Well, and that's correct. Nobody ever wants to be diagnosed with cancer. Absolutely and, not. And it is a crushing, heart-stomping, anxiety-driven diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And when you have the reoccurrence, it's even worse. Mm-hmm. And um, battling this demon it takes everything in everyone's power to win. 
and every day is a battle. There is no um, off days. You have to fight every day. Right. And more and more people are starting to be diagnosed with HPV-related cancers, particularly with oral cancer. And you can speak firsthand as to what this can do to somebody. You know, I got to say, in my life, I have eaten healthy all my life. Mm -hmm. I have exercised. I was the epitome of a healthy male. Mm-hmm. And if you had asked me five years ago, would I have cancer or possibly die from it? I would have said, not a chance. Mm-hmm. I was so focused on heart disease because that is prevalent in my family that I had maintained great eating habits, a healthy lifestyle, and only to be thrown a curveball of this cancer was amazing to me. I was astonished, you know, and I didn't know a whole lot about it when I was diagnosed. And one of the issues I found is when people find it that it's related to an STD, mm-hmm. they immediately go to that bad, you know, it's bad. And I was like, whoa, 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 it's not bad. I said, you know, 80% of the people have this virus. Yeah. I said, my immune system failed me. That is the only failure here. I said, my immune system failed me. Nothing else. I wasn't a bad guy. My wife's not a horrible person. My girlfriends prior to my wife were not bad people. No one had this devious plan to hurt me or me hurt anyone else. I said, it's just unfortunate. That's it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we have to... And, you know, there's a vaccine to stop it. And if we can stop many people from dying or getting this cancer, from getting a vaccine, then we got to get the word out. We have to. Absolutely. And OCF is very committed to that particular research and those vaccines, making sure young boys and girls get that vaccine when they can. Absolutely. My three children, my wife is a pharmacist, and when Gardasil had came out, all three of our children uh, were some of the first kids to get it. We paid out of pocket to our pediatrician to have our children get it before I was even diagnosed, way before it. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, if you can prevent your children from getting cancer... Why would you not? I never understood that. Right. Well, well, we're not going to get, you know, we can talk all day (laughs) about anti-vaxxers, which, you know, that's, that's a whole nother conversation, but it's very, it's wonderful that you are such an Mm -hmm. advocate for that, particularly that vaccine. And on that note, what does it mean to you to be an advocate? And if given the opportunity, would you expand your advocate role? Um, Would I expand my role? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And to me, uh, when I do get in heated arguments with people that I know and are friends with, co-workers, even family members that 
are skeptical about the HPV vaccine. And I show them my pictures. I show them in my wheelchair. I show them pictures of my tumors. And I said, do you want your child to go through this? Do you want your kid to know that cancer could have been avoided with just a couple shots mm-hmm. from a pediatrician? I said, do you have any idea what I went through and what I am currently going through? All because of a virus. It's a virus that causes. Anyone can get it. Mm-hmm. And a vaccine will stop it. A proven, thoroughly invented vaccine. I don't get people. I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> and I will well, argue to a moon in the face about yeah. it. Well, you know what? You are definitely doing wonderful work. Just <laughs> literally just even talking to your families about it. And... That's something that we here at the Oral Cancer Foundation, one of our main goals is to just spread awareness, whether that's through online virtual events or once things are able to open back up, physical events for awareness and early screenings and just keeping an eye on your own health. And you are absolutely an inspiration. And I just, again, just thank you for saying those words because I don't think those words are said enough. Well, anytime, you know, um, anything to help people mm-hmm. and, um, I'm all for, Yeah. and I would hate to see another person get HPV positive cancer when it could be prevented. And I know I've changed some of my friends and family's minds to their children who did not have the vaccine. And they got it for their kids. And I'm just, you know, why? I just understand why you would wait. Yeah. I, I don't get it. That's uh, wonderful. You know, if you get a little polio, smallpox, sure. All these deadly diseases. Oh, yeah. Uh, Knowing that our listeners range from patients to survivors and even dental professionals that are engaged in early discovery, and even those that are professionals in the oncology world, do you have a message for any of them or each of them or any particular group, essentially? Um, No, I know with my dentist... um... I had felt there was something stuck in my throat. And, I mean, he had poked and he had prodded. And, um, I mean, me and my dentist are personal friends. We go and have beer together. That's how close we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when I told him I felt there was something stuck, I mean, he examined as best as he could. But it was just too far back for him to, to find it. Um, and when I diagnosed with it, um, you know, he ended up crying, you know, mm. um, and hurt him professionally that he couldn't catch it quicker for me, mm. even though, you know, I had some signs or symptoms, and, you know, I ended up going to the ENT, um, 
because I just made a decision to. Um, but, you know, now on hindsight, uh, he's very thorough and um, he takes great care of me. And, and I know most dentists out there would want to be advocates and take care of their patients and try to help them and catch it as soon as possible. You would be surprised or maybe not even that surprised that there are a lot of dentists out there that either don't look for anything or they don't even perform the screenings. They just say, "We, I don't have time or it's too expensive. What do you have to say to those particular types of dentists? Well, I got time to go run eight miles while I have stage four cancer. They got time to check their, you know, they have a, a few minutes to check their patients for cancer. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's somebody's life. Yeah. You know, the sooner you catch it, the higher the cure rate is. Yeah. You can be saving somebody's life. You know, when I coach soccer, my I coached my daughter's soccer team for 18 years. Mm-hmm. And you would hear thunder off in the distance. And I would get my girls off of the field. And there would be par- parents be like, ah, oh, well, they can still play. It's far away. And I said, why wouldn't you want me to take your daughter's life to chance on a lightning strike? I'm going to take the time to get them off the field, get them to a safe location. Soccer can wait. But I'm not going to take the chance with our lives getting struck by lightning. Same thing for any doctor or dentist. Take the time to check. Nothing is so not worthwhile not to check. I mean, all we have is time. All we have is time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, there are still, like, many, many dentists and particularly RDHs. They're definitely our biggest allies in that world and we are very grateful to have them on our side so thank you to everyone listening um thank you to those who are taking the initiative and learning how to screen and i'm sure everybody who sits in your chair thanks you but i think we're about done here robert uh thank you so much for sitting down with us and just talking about your story and your journey and why you support OCF. And do you happen to have any final thoughts uh, about anything that you'd like to just share? Well, uh, I don't know how many of your people know about Jimmy Valvano and the Jimmy V Foundation and that he had died from cancer. But, you know, his words, never, ever give up. Always fight. Never, ever stop. Only strive to win this battle. Even if it's not for myself, but for others. Always strive to help others and win this battle. That is it. Wonderful, Robert. Thank you so much once again for taking the time to speak with us. And we really appreciate everything you've done to support OCF. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Of course, thank you. You have been listening to Podcast 2020, Episode 1. We are interested in bringing together the best researchers, 
treatment professionals, early discovery experts, and those drawn from the patient and survivor community to produce rich content that we can all learn and benefit from. So please, send us your ideas for future episodes you would like to see us produce. From all of us at the Oral Cancer Foundation, thanks for joining us, and we will see you again on the next episode of Oral Cancer Answers. Mm -hmm.